the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is engineering and producing as Clark Hilton is taking a well-deserved vacation. Well, today we're going to hear from Noel Maring, author of Awake, Not Woke, a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. And uh, we're also going to talk a bit about what's next in Afghanistan and the um, Oregon vaccine mandate and mask mandate could lead to mass exit um, and shortages across the state. We'll talk a bit about that as well as much, much more from today's headlines and beyond. Well, taking a look at some of the headlines with regard to Afghanistan, uh, Afghan interpreter who helped rescue Biden in 2008 left behind after U.S. exit. No update from Biden administration on 24 Sacramento students trapped in Afghanistan. Biden pressed Afghan president to change perception that Taliban was winning, whether true or not. After stranding Americans in Afghanistan, Biden administration warns all areas of country unsafe. Pentagon and White House are contradicting each other over key issues. Representative Mike Turner amidst Afghanistan horror show. Biden seems completely oblivious to his own failures. Biden bluntly responds after Gold Star father asks him to hear the stories of the fallen soldiers. Reports of girl being shipped in coffins or rather girls being shipped in coffins to be used as Taliban sex slaves paints a grim picture of future of Afghan women. Three year old child among Americans left behind in Afghanistan. And finally, this headline, father of Marine seen cradling Afghan infant reacts to daughter's death after Kabul blast. Just my baby. Anyway, these are some of the headlines uh, the day after the war technically ended, but uh, essentially just changed faces as the uh, conflict will continue in another form. Well, America's longest war did come to an end uh, just before midnight local time in Afghanistan when the last evacuation flight flew out of Kabul. No U.S. civilians were on those flights. A C-17 military transport plane took off uh, carrying the U.S. commander who oversaw the evacuation operation, Major General Christopher Donahue of the 82nd Airborne Division, and the acting U.S. Ambassador Ross Wilson, who were the last two Americans to step off the tarmac in Kabul minutes before the 31st August deadline which actually took place on the 30th. It brought to an end a U.S. presence that lasted nearly 20 years, beginning just a few weeks after September 11, 2001 attacks. The U.S. gave up its last toehold in Kabul to the guerrilla group it ousted with initial ease in 2001, marking a defeat on the scale of Vietnam. There was no fanfare or ceremony, no handing over the flags to Kabul's new masters. All remaining armored vehicles and other military equipment items were destroyed or rendered useless, and the Taliban were notified of the last flight. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said later a new chapter has begun with the military operation over and a diplomatic mission just starting. U.S. diplomatic operations have now been moved from Kabul to Gutter, he said. More than 100 Americans remain in Afghanistan. That number has been quoted as high as 250 or hundreds um, who wanted to leave but were unable to get to the last flights 
uh, he said, but the State Department would keep working to get them out. Now, with no presence on the ground in, in Kabul, it's difficult in Afghanistan. It's difficult to imagine how. You simply have to, at this point, take him at his word. He reiterated a pledge to hold the Taliban to their commitments to let people leave the country and said it was time to learn lessons from the U.S.'s 20-year presence in Afghanistan. Well, there's certainly much to be learned, but a great deal to be learned over the last several days as well. Well, the head of U.S. Central Command General Kenneth McKenzie, he announced the historic moment of departure, appearing on a video link to the Pentagon just as the last flight was clearing the Afghan airspace. Tonight's withdrawal, he said at the time, signifies both the end of the military component of the evacuation, but also the end of nearly 20 year mission that began in Afghanistan shortly after September 11th. 2001. The cost was 2,461 U.S. service members and civilians killed and more than 20,000 who were injured. He noted that total included 13 U.S. service members killed on Thursday after an attack by the regional ISIS affiliate Islamic State Khorasan province at one of the airport gates. Now our 20-year military presence in Afghanistan has ended, Joe Biden said in a written statement, hailing the unmatched courage, professionalism, and resolve of the U.S. troops who carried out the historic uh, airlift. Uh, The U.S. Special Representative for Afghanistan's uh, reconciliation said Afghans now face a moment of decision and opportunity. Their country's future is in their hands. They will choose their path in full sovereignty. Uh, This is the chance to bring their war to an end as well. In Kabul, Taliban fighters marked the departure of the last U.S. transport planes with salvos of celebratory gunfire. At 12 o'clock tonight, the last American troops left Kabul airport, on which account Afghanistan was completely liberated and independent. That's a quote from the movement's spokesperson. Nearly 50,000 Afghan civilians and 70,000 Afghan soldiers and police are estimated to have died in the violence since 2001. And with the Taliban asserting its control around the country, uh, increasing active um, uh, the uh, the ISIS uh, KP is increasingly active and the U.S. is vowing to continue airstrikes against them. It seems certain that the last American flight out will not mean the end of the daily violence faced by Afghans. McKenzie estimated that uh, there were 2000 hardcore IS fighters on the ground in Afghanistan, plus those uh, that had been um, let out of prisons by the Taliban in recent days, abandoned by the U.S. and Afghanistan troops that held them. That's going to be a challenge for the Taliban, I believe, in the days ahead, the general said. Well, in the last 24 hours of the U.S. presence, about a 1,000 Afghans were evacuated who had worked for and with the United States, bringing the total civilian evacuation carried out this month to 123,000. Of that total, 79,000 were flown out by the U.S. military, including 6,000 U.S. nationals. It was the biggest non-combatant evacuation in U.S. military history. McKenzie called it a monumental achievement, noting it included three helicopter evacuations of 185 stranded Americans and 21 uh, Germans. On top of that, special forces brought 2,017 vulnerable Afghans, 1,064 American citizens, and 127 nationals from third countries to the airport by road. Family members um, uh, were oftentimes left behind. Well, there was no... um, uh, there were no evacuees left behind on the tarmac, but McKenzie admitted there are a lot of heartbreaks associated with this departure. We did not get everybody out that we wanted to get out. He said that would now be the task of the diplomats. Well, the president has uh, once again in speaking earlier today uh, suggested that is a priority. It's difficult to imagine how that will happen. I hope that uh, the skepticism I feel, given what we've witnessed over the last several weeks, 
uh, is uh, unmerited and that the president is right, that they do have a system to get Afghans and U.S. citizens out. I'm skeptical. I admit that. uh, But I hope I'm wrong. I will continue to pray for the leaders of this country, not because I necessarily agree with their politics, but because in Scripture, that's what we're told to do, to pray for those who are in positions of authority. And so I pray not as an enemy of the United States or for that matter, their enemy, but I pray that God would intervene and give wisdom to those who are making decisions that have a significant impact on the lives of U.S. citizens in that country as well as here at home and certainly Afghans who supported the mission in Afghanistan that lasted some 20 years. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. And we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President's uh, Press Secretary John Kirby, this is the Pentagon's Press Secretary, John Kirby, made the rounds and headlines on Tuesday's uh, morning shows. On Fox News, uh, he explained away the equipment the U.S. military left in the hands of the Taliban. He admitted that while there is certain lethality uh, component to it, it doesn't pose a threat to the United States. It doesn't pose a threat to neighboring nations. I'm not sure how that's the case, but on Monday, America's 20-year conflict came to an end when the last U.S. troops left. Well, the spoils of war for the victorious Taliban include not only control of the country, but billions of dollars in American military equipment, including helicopters, Humvees, and other assorted arms that will help the terror group cement that control or at least raise funds. A New York Times infographic provided a full breakdown of the materials left behind. And although Glenn Kessler of The Washington Post points out that a good portion may not be operational and its uh, total price tag is not uh, the uh, $85 billion that some have claimed it to be, Monday saw some pretty shocking video of the Taliban operating and hanging Afghans from U.S. helicopters circulating on social media. 22,174 Humvees, 634, um, let's see, P, it's hard to read this uh, printing, 8,000 trucks, 162,043 radios of some sort, 16,035 others, uh, 358,530 assault rifles, 126,000 handguns of a sort, 176 artillery Pieces. I wish I could read this rather blurry account of Taliban's new arsenal, but you can find that online if you're interested. Isaac Shore wrote a piece on it and created a chart. You can look that up as well. Meanwhile, President Biden today declared the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan a success in a defiant speech, even as hundreds of Americans are left behind in the country after the last troops flew out of Kabul. The uh, bottom line, the president said 90 percent of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. For those remaining Americans, there is no deadline. We remain committed to get them out if they want to come out, end quote. Well, the president said that over 5,500 Americans who wanted to leave were evacuated from the country, along with thousands of Afghans who helped the U.S. during the two decade war. The evacuation was marred by chaotic uh, scenes at the Kabul airport where Afghans attempted to ride the wheels of planes, taking off from the runway. The ISIS-K killed 13 American troops and almost 200 Afghans in a suicide bombing on Thursday. We did learn uh, today that among the 15 uh, Americans who were wounded, they were apparently seriously wounded, but were able to, um, they managed to patch them together and they flown back to he- the um, hospital here in the United States. Well, U.S. forces withdrew to the airport as Taliban militants took over the city after the group seized control of our major Afghan provinces more quickly than expected. 
Meanwhile, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken vowed that the U.S. will continue to help Americans and Afghan allies leave uh, following the withdrawal of the troops. He said the U.S. has suspended its diplomatic presence in Afghanistan and transferred that presence to Doha Gutter. A diplomat stationed in Doha will coordinate engagement and messaging to the Taliban moving forward. The last U.S. troops stationed there flew out of Hamid Karzai International Airport on Monday. We will continue our relentless effort to help Americans, foreign nationals and Afghans leave the country if they choose, Blinken said, adding that the U.S. made extraordinary efforts to give Americans every opportunity to depart the country. Secretary of uh, the same Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, acknowledged that the prospect of additional diplomatic contact with the Taliban in a speech marking the end of the evacuation effort and the withdrawal of the last U.S. forces from Afghanistan, saying going forward, any engagement with the Taliban led government in Kabul will be driven by one thing, our vital national interests. If we can work in the new Afghan government in a way that helps secure those interests and in a way that brings greater stability to the country and the region and that protects the gains of the last two decades, we will do it. Now, the gains of the last two decades, it seems to me, were forfeit yesterday. Blinken identified the fate of Navy veteran Mark um, Frerichs, an American who disappeared into Taliban hands last February as a key sign of whether the president will see value in diplomatic relations with the Taliban following two decades of war. Yet he also acknowledged that millions of Afghans in the country have been forced to leave their homes, a displacement that European leaders fear will swell into a full-blown refugee crisis. Again, the Afghanistan mission shifting from military to diplomatic. Meanwhile, viewing the chaos, the death and destruction accompanying the withdrawal of U.S. military forces and civilians from the country, Americans have many unanswered questions. Cable news anchors repeatedly quiz their guests with questions such as, should the U.S. have abandoned Bagram Airfield in early July? Others ask, how could the U.S. have come to be dependent on the Taliban for airport security in Kabul? Well, Americans want to know whether the U.S. should have blown up all the military equipment rather than have it be captured by the Taliban. What about the decision to abandon the military prison at Bagram Airfield containing thousands of the worst terrorists in Afghanistan? To Americans accustomed to seeing their military succeed, none of what they see on TV makes sense. Now, the military didn't fail. The mission failed. Well, these questions and others like them concerning the actions of the U.S. military are all legitimate. And in the coming days, for Americans to fully understand the answers that will hopefully be forthcoming, we also need to understand the associated timing and authorities. Um, under which the U.S. military was operating. In military operations, the timing of decisions is crucial. Options that are available early in a campaign become increasingly difficult or impossible to execute as time passes. Time and enemy action impose a tyranny that is difficult, if not impossible, to overcome. While working for then-General, now Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin in Iraq in 2011, as U.S. forces executed a drawdown, we knew that if we didn't get the White House decisions needed to uh, needed at certain points in time, the mission dramatically narrowed. In one case, they needed a decision on a proposed U.S. stay-behind force by mid-October, or they would be forced to abandon millions of dollars of commercial generators on the ground um, in the air, uh, at an airbase in Afghanistan. A common military saying is that an 80% correct decision made on time is better than a perfect decision made too late. 
Similarly, the military options for Afghanistan that were available in April when the president first announced the 100 percent withdrawal of U.S. forces narrowed every day until mid-August when the Taliban overran Kabul and disaster arrived. Well, Americans deserve answers on the botched Afghanistan withdrawal, and hopefully they will be forthcoming. Meanwhile, the, the Heritage Foundation's James Carafano released a statement on Monday calling for an independent investigation into the administration's handling of the situation. In it, he said, and I quote, as we prepare to mark 20 years since the devastating world changing events of September 11th, 2001, our country has been reminded that despite many American victories on the battlefield, the forces of evil remain strong and at large in our world. As we have seen in the tragic events in Afghanistan in recent days, Islamist terrorism remains a threat to which we must not turn a blind eye, even as we confront other pressing national security challenges, including an historic border crisis and increasingly adversarial Chinese Communist Party and the politicization of federal agencies like the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security. Successfully fighting the threat from Islamist terrorism requires leadership that understands and acknowledges the threat and then takes unequivocal actions that protect American interests. Sadly, the Biden administration has failed to do any of these in its handling of Afghanistan. The failures are myriad. The leadership absent and the consequences deadly. The American people deserve answers. To get them, Congress should immediately authorize and empower an independent commission to investigate the administration's withdrawal strategy and the decisions that have been made in recent days once the crisis was apparent. Similar to the 9-11 Commission, this investigation should be thorough, leaving no agency, no office, no individual involved untouched. None of the tragedies we've witnessed needed to happen. It is incumbent on our leaders to find out why they did. From the President of the United States all the way down to the chain, no one should be spared from accountability. The sad reality is that the administration's politically motivated choices that have made another 9-11 more likely. Fortunately, history is not yet written, and by understanding their recent mistakes and taking steps to ensure accountability for them, we can emerge from this tragic situation stronger together as a nation. It's time for bipartisan actions to do that. Meanwhile, horrifying audio of distant gunshots appears to confirm reports of house-to-house executions as the Taliban asserts control in Kabul and Afghanistan after the U.S. military a departure on Monday. An Afghan man who worked with Americans on the ground provided a chilling audio featuring distant gunshots. I think there's a conflict between the Taliban. I have no idea where I'm located. From everywhere I hear the sounds of shooting, gunfire, I have no idea how to leave, the Afghan man said in an audio clip recorded around the time the final U.S. plane left Kabul. Distant gunshots rang in the background in the audio clips. Taliban militants were carrying out house-to-house executions in Kabul. Who knows what was uh, being carried out elsewhere in the country after the U.S. departure, according to a senior U.S. source um, and uh, speaking to investigative journalist Lara Logan. President Biden didn't deny a political report that was confirmed that U.S. officials in Kabul gave the Taliban a list of American citizens, green card holders and Afghan allies in an effort to grant them entry to the airport, which resulted in outrage from military officials behind the scenes. So a a thorough commission or review of the facts may either clarify the decisions made by and justify the decisions made by the administration or else uh, will lead to an accounting for those who made those faded decisions. In other news, the rescue efforts continue in Louisiana. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. But first, we need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, in the second hour of today's program, we'll hear from Noel Maring, author of Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. Well, Louisiana communities hit by Hurricane Ida started picking up the pieces this week. As more than a million people were left without power, hundreds of thousands faced shortages of drinking water. Researchers, uh, rather rescuers, traveled by boat, high water trucks and helicopter and crews planned to go door to door in the areas most impacted by the storm. On Monday morning, a Cajun Navy relief president, uh, Colleen Udell, said the nonprofit had already received more than a thousand, actually eleven hundred rescue requests. She said they handled requests one at a time, noting that their communications had been impacted by either spotty service or no service at all. Communications had been very difficult. We resorted to text messages. Well, Ida storm surge um, overtopped uh, flood walls uh, in Lafayette, uh, stranding residents on roofs and in attics. In Laplace, the uh, storm tore roofs off homes and flooding uh, flooded subdivisions. Hospitals were forced to evacuate dozens of patients on Monday. Some places were also facing shortages of drinking water, and 18 water systems were out, and 14 more were under boil water advisories. Well, Ida was blamed for at least four deaths in both Louisiana and nearby Mississippi, where two people were killed on Monday night when seven vehicles fell into a 20-foot-deep hole near um, Loose Dale, the Louisiana Department of Health wrote in tweets that the death of a man who drowned after attempting to drive through floodwaters in New Orleans was considered to be storm related. Uh, his age is unknown at the time, pending ID of the victim. Well, another person was confirmed to be deceased there after um, Ascension Parish Sheriff's Office received reports of a citizen possibly injured from a falling tree at his residence. And the story goes on. The relief effort will continue for weeks to come, we're being told. Well, in other news, um, we learned that the president waived congressional mandate for um, a report on the Afghanistan withdrawal risk. He waived the mandate in June that would have forced the Pentagon to provide a detailed report to Congress about the risks of leaving Afghanistan. Well, under the federal statute, the administration was barred from reducing troops in Afghanistan below 2000 without first briefing Congress about the expected impact on U.S. counterterrorism operations and the risk to American personnel. Well, the president waived the mandate in June, arguing that providing this information to Congress could undermine the national security interests of the United States. The administration spent months assuring Congress that the U.S. trained Afghan forces would be able to forestall a Taliban takeover when American troops left the country on a predetermined deadline. That assessment was proven wrong days after the withdrawal when the Taliban overran the Afghan National Army and seized control of Kabul, forced a chaotic evacuation of U.S. personnel. Certainly one of the issues that will be looked into, I expect. In other developments, the last U.S. troops uh, departed Afghanistan yesterday. The Taliban bragged the U.S. troops left Kabul and Afghanistan gained full independence. General Blinken pledged support to Americans left in Afghanistan after the withdrawal, saying we will help them leave. The president emphasized the unanimous recommendation of military leaders to meet the August 31st uh, Afghanistan exit deadline. NBC's Richard Engel says Biden's Afghan withdrawal was the worst capitulation of Western values in our lifetimes. And a veterans organization continues to work to evacuate Afghan interpreters desperate to find safety as U.S. troops withdrew. 
A Marine who criticized military leaders over the Afghan exit said he was ordered to undergo mental health screening. The Marine officer, who was relieved of his command for breaking rank and calling out the brass over the chaotic, deadly evacuation, which members of the military are not permitted to do, um, uh, was ordered to undergo a mental health screening. Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller uh, was fired after posting a video on social media where he criticized military leaders over the botched exit. In the footage, the 17-year Marine, just three years shy of a full pension, said um, it took uh, rather took leaders to task. I'm not saying we need to be in Afghanistan forever, forever, but I'm saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, a strategic air base, before we evacuate everyone? Scheller uh, said last Thursday, did anyone do that? And when you didn't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? Well, in an online post on Monday, he said he's uh, his commanding officer ordered him to go to a hospital for the mental health screening. He said he was evaluated by mental health specialists and then sent on his way. Meanwhile, fathers of Marines killed in the Kabul suicide blast ripped the president, saying he talked more about his son and himself than about their sons. And a wounded Marine ripped uh, Blinken and General McKenzie on their praise of the Taliban, saying, how dare you do that? A grieving father remembers one Utah Marine killed in the Kabul attack, saying his son had the biggest heart in the world. And Marines are posting photos of the dignified transfer of the 13 fallen service members killed in Kabul. As expected, the Taliban is taking control of the Kabul airport, celebrating, in their words, an enjoyable moment in history. Meanwhile, Sean Hannity calls on President Biden to resign for abandoning U.S. citizens in Afghanistan. Representative Tiffany points out that unvetted Afghan refugees were allowed to leave a Wisconsin military base unsupervised. And uh, don't trust the Taliban. Hundreds gathered outside the the, uh, White House making that statement loud and clear. The Taliban offered Kabul to the U.S., but we've learned yesterday that Americans said no. In other news, school board members look for exits as meetings are getting heated over critical race theory and other topics. And Christian scholars rip a psychology study claiming that LGBTQ activism poses no threat to Christians. More on that in the second hour of today's program. Meanwhile, lithium fuels um, uh, hopes... uh, For a renewal on California's largest lake, California's lake could make the U.S. a major global player in the production of lithium. Recovery for Bernard Madoff customers is being bolstered by a Citigroup ruling, according to trustees' lawyer, and pending home sales slid for the second month as the housing market cools. Businesses exiting California surged in 2021, dealing a death knell to the state's economy. While the U.S. abandoned Americans and Afghans as the Taliban ruled the country, CNN's Clarissa Ward reports on a Houston, Texas family of four now stranded behind enemy lines. For two weeks, they went to the airport and couldn't get past the Taliban that Biden left in charge. Ted Cruz says this is horrifying and wrong. America doesn't leave Americans behind. Well, that statement no longer holds true. Secretary of State Tony Blinken admits we left Americans behind, but then implied they wanted to stay. Remember, Biden promised just weeks ago we're going to stay until we get them all out. Well, United States Central Command General Kenneth McKenzie offered this sta- uh, odd statement. We did not get everyone out that we wanted to get out, but I think uh, if we... Um, Uh, Would have stayed another 10 days. We would not have gotten everybody out that we wanted to get out. And there still would be uh, would have been people who would have uh, been disappointed with that. 
Well, it goes on, but I'll leave it at that. A group claims President Biden also left service dogs behind from that story. American Humane uh, Society condemned the effective death sentence that the U.S. withdrawal from Kabul in favor of the Islamic Taliban militia has spelled for contract working dogs. These brave dogs do the same dangerous life-saving work as our military working dogs and deserved a far better fate than the one to which they have been condemned. That's a quote from Robert uh, Robert Ganzert, American Humane's um, president and CEO. The L.A. Teachers Union president says that there was no learning loss in 2020. Uh, From L.A. Magazine, the president of the UTLA, Cecily uh, Cruz, stated there is so much, um, no such thing, rather, as a learning loss. She responded when asked how her insistence on keeping L.A. schools mostly locked down over the last year and a half may have impacted the uh, city's 600,000 kindergartners through 12th grade students. Our kids didn't lose anything. It's okay that our babies may not have learned all their timetables. They learned uh, resilience. They learned survival. They learned critical thinking skills. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. (laughs) I wonder. Uh, They know the words insurrection and coup. Well, why learn math and reading if you got that from the Daily Wire in calling for schools to be closed completely last year? The union focused more on far left politics, writing the covid-19 pandemic in the United States underscores the deep equity and justice challenges arising from our profoundly racist, intensely unequal society. Quote that they wrote. Spencer Brown says the comments from uh, Myart Cruz um, aren't all that surprising, given her activism that has frequently strayed beyond the school issues. She advocated for Medicare for all tax increases, taxpayer funded services for illegal immigrants, eviction moratoriums and a boycott of Israel. She doesn't really have time for academics. Meanwhile, Twitter and Facebook suspended the account of the mother of a Marine killed in Kabul because they didn't like what she was saying, according to California State Senator Melissa Melendez. The mother of slain Marine Riley McCullum called in to Andrew Wilkow of Sirius XM and tore into the president. By the way, I understand one or the other, Twitter or Facebook, has reversed itself on that subject. Several Republicans are calling for Biden's impeachment over abandoning Americans in Afghanistan. The American people must have full confidence in their commander in chief's judgment and ability to protect our country and respond decisively to national security threats. Representative uh, Claudia Tenney, Ronnie Jackson, um, Jeff Van Drew, Pete Sessions, Yvette Harrell and others wrote to Pelosi. We have no confidence in President Joseph R. Biden's ability to carry out his duties as commander in chief of the United States Armed Forces. They wrote his unilateral reckless decision to retreat from Afghanistan was done against the advice of military and national security experts. And it has now put thousands of American military personnel, citizens and Afghan allies in grave peril. Tragically, at least 13 service members have lost their lives in the deadliest attack on U.S. forces in the last decade. Well, Verizon Wireless is pushing critical race theory and anti-police rhetoric in their training. Uh, From the uh, Police Tribune, telecommunications company Verizon has implemented a so-called anti-racism training for employees to help them decide whether they are oppressed or oppressors as they work to understand how racist the United States is, according to a whistleblower. The company has also been pushing employees to endorse a number of left-wing ideals to include defunding law enforcement. From the City Journal, in the flagship Conscious Inclusion and Anti-Racism Training Module, Verizon diversity trainer instruct employees to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities and according to their position on the privilege hierarchy, embark on a lifelong anti-racism journey. 
We're going to take a break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, a State Department spokesperson called the police the largest threat to U.S. national security. Well, the State Department's newly installed deputy spokesperson, Jelena Porter, said in a 2016 Facebook post that the largest threat to U.S. national security are U.S. cops, according to a screenshot of the post obtained by the Washington Free Beacon. The largest threat to U.S. national security are U.S. cops, wrote Porter, who was recently tapped by the Biden administration to serve as State Department spokesman Ned Price's deputy. Not ISIS, not Russian hackers, not anyone or anything else. Meanwhile, workers are uh, growing tired of doing their jobs at home. They're done with the isolation bubble that some companies are willing to push. And the CDC has turned woke. I know that's not news. Putting out a list of alternative ways to say things that might otherwise offend. Now, we don't want to offend, but is the CDC on the right track here? Such as instead of saying someone is an alcoholic, you say they are a person with alcohol use disorder. Hope you wrote that down. Well, let's see. Um, The Education Department opens a civil rights investigation into five states for banning school mask mandates. It's apparently a civil right to impose a mandate on citizens. And the debt ceiling battle looms ahead of Congress's return from the August recess. A convicted rapist reached the U.S. on an Afghan evacuation flight. He has at least been identified. But are there others in the haste of removing those uh, from the country? Southern border deaths are soaring. 2021 could break an all-time record. Homeschool children increased from 13,000 in 1973 to 5 million in 2020. Will that hold once students are invited back into the classroom? Only time will tell. And China limits online video games to three hours a week for minors. So they're not necessarily wrong about everything. Well, 1997, Princess Diana and her campaign, uh, companion, rather, Dodi Fayed, are killed in a car accident on this day in history. 1994, Russia officially ended its military presence in the former East Germany and Baltic states. 2001, the last original episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood airs. Fred Rogers hosted 895 episodes of the show over 31 years. 2016, Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump meets the Mexican president Enrique Pena Nieto. In Mexico City. Well, on August 19th, Oregon Governor Kate Brown announced a sweeping new series of mandates in response to the Delta variant of COVID-19. The new order administered by the Oregon Health Authority mandates masks in all indoor and outdoor settings, regardless of vaccination status. The mask mandate exempts the homeless, children under five years old, people engaged in competitive sports and those delivering an outdoor speech or performance. The Democrat governor also mandated COVID-19 vaccines for all health care workers, along with teachers and staff in K through nine across the state. The mask mandate took effect on the 19th. The vaccine mandate must be completed by the 18th or affected workers could face would face the prospect of termination. Well, just two weeks prior, the governor had announced that school districts would retain local control over health care mandates and health care workers would maintain their personal choice over the vaccine. Well, the mandate applies to paramedics and firefighters across Oregon and has caused a firestorm of controversy among rural departments, fire departments in particular. In Aurora, the fire chief said he would rather lose his job than require his employees to receive the vaccine. The chief of the Aurora district um, made the statement, including um, firefights uh, and other things they do on a regular basis, referring to the uh, 
the mandate. Chief Joseph, or rather Joshua Williams, who moved to the Aurora Fire District in 2018 after a 12-year career in Depot Bay, made his position clear in a two-page letter posted to the Aurora Fire District social media page on Friday. This mandate is un-American, as our state government has been weaponized uh, to the point where people are afraid to take a stand. I will no longer sit silently on the sideline and watch this happen. I love my job. I love the fire service. And more importantly, I love the people that I work with and serve. I will not abide by the governor's mandate. Additionally, I will not enforce this mandate on any member of the fire district in the um, old America. We used to have choices. Frankly, I do not recognize the country that I live in right now. Williams also noted that 25 percent or more of the firefighters in his district would also quit to avoid a vaccine mandate. He said he would devastate the that would devastate the ability of the Aurora Fire Department to respond to emergencies. And he's not alone in Baker City. The firefighters union representative testified to the city council that 100 percent of the the department there would resign over the mandate. And it goes on from there. Oregon's vaccine mandate could lead to mass exodus of firefighters and pandemics across uh, paramedics, I should say, across the state. Meanwhile, Kevin Purnell was fired on Monday as superintendent of the Adrian School District just one week after students returned to school. The Adrian School District convened in a special meeting, voted four to one to terminate Purnell on Monday night after meeting the an executive or closed door session for less than a half an hour to consider the matter. Well, the board provided no public explanation for its surprise decision to oust the superintendent who's been on the job for three years and in the district for 14. The board chair said after the meeting, that the decision was because of Purnell's failure to follow board directives. He declined to elaborate. Well, Kincaid and the board members, um, whose names I won't bother to mention, voted for the motion to terminate Purnell, while uh, one member voted uh, or opposed it. They took the vote without comment. Well, after the board emerged from executive session and had its vote, Purnell gave an emotional speech to an emotional crowd. He said that he had at times failed to communicate well and that board members had at times failed to communicate in a civil manner. Ultimately, I feel that I have lost my way and it began to consume me. Well, the conflicts that Kincaid and Purnell alluded to emerged um, amid the arising uh, COVID cases in Malheur and continued opposition to government-mandated mask-wearing in Adrian. Purnell had said that he's not in favor of the governor's mandates, but he was described in comments by Adrian residents as a rule follower who would enforce them anyway. No one has yet been named as interim uh, supervisor. So the superintendent of schools there has been fired because while he uh, doesn't agree with the governor's um, mandates, was willing to enforce them, but that wasn't enough. Meanwhile, superintendent received uh, resignations over the vaccine mandate in uh, Tillamook School Board's uh, meetings as well. They're expecting more. The Tillamook School Board hosted a work session in August the 25th to hear from Tillamook School District staff regarding the vaccine mandate recently issued by the governor. The governor's uh, vaccination mandate requires that all teachers, as we said before, educators, support staff and volunteers in K through 12 schools be vaccinated against COVID-19. Well, the mandate requires those listed uh, above, um, take care of this real quickly. Um, the mandate requires that those listed above to be fully vaccinated by the 18th or six weeks after full FDA approval. 
Well, that FDA approval occurred last week. Our kids need to be in the classroom full time, five days a week, and we have to do everything we can to make that happen, the governor said, among other things. Well, Tillamook School District Superintendent Kurt Shelley opened the workshop addressing the roughly 10 staff members meeting in person and 70 plus joining via Zoom. We're doing everything we can to navigate a vaccine mandate while keeping everyone safe and protecting people, Shelley went on to say. We have changes um, that are coming to us on a daily basis. I appreciate those who understand those changes. Well, for the 2021-22 school year, the district hired 40 new teachers, several more additional employees. And one of the questions proposed to the board and Shelley was if the vaccination mandate would create more vacant positions. I believe we will have a number of people who will resign uh, Shelley said, I will guess that more class uh, classified staff will resign uh, than certified staff. Certified staff teachers uh, would need to change profession or go to another state to avoid the mandate. I have had a couple of resignations already based around this mandate. We have a shortage of staff. Whatever way we go, we will have challenges. So here in Tillamook, um, just another school district, as an example, you have resignations among staff. Uh, teachers and otherwise who are unwilling to bow to the governor's mandate in order to continue teaching in their school district. And uh, this is just the beginning before the school year begins in many uh, places around the state. Meanwhile, the Texas state capitol in Austin, the uh, GOP dominated legislature voted Tuesday today to pass its elections reform bill after the state's Democrats protested the measure for weeks, going so far as to deny the chamber a quorum by walking out of the session to prevent the advancement of the legislation and many moving to Washington, D.C. Well, the legislation now goes to the desk of Republican Governor Greg Abbott, who is expected to sign the bill after lobbying for it for many months. And while state Democrats have attacked the bill as a voter suppression measure, state Republicans have insisted it will promote transparency, security and integrity in Texas elections. Its provisions include rolling back drive through and 24 hour voting, requiring voters to authenticate their identity on absentee ballots, banning public officials from sending unsolicited mail in ballots and mandating that all voting systems have a paper trail on or before. 2026 among others so an end has come to this back and forth in the state of uh, of texas you're listening to the georgine rice show we've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour and we'll be back you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, we'll hear from Noel Maring, author of Awake, Not Woke, a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology. We'll also talk about, um, well, we'll just have to wait. Well, I'm not going to say what we're going to talk about. Uh, anyway, as Congress prepares to return from August recess, President uh, Biden's plan for trillions in federal spending hang in the balance. Congressional Republicans are making clear they intend to oppose the full brunt of the increase in federal spending, in particular, um, Democrats' plans to raise the debt ceiling. Well, more than 100 Republicans have backed a public letter vowing not to raise the debt ceiling, which was was uh, surpassed in July and would need to be increased before enacting the federal spending plan uh, under the president's um, leadership. Well, Democrats have embarked on a massive and unprecedented deficit spending spree, their letter reads. Without a single Republican vote, they passed a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill in March 
Now they have passed a $3.5 trillion budget resolution again without a single Republican vote. Well, the debt ceiling could become a rallying point for Republicans looking to take a stand against the president's infrastructure bill and the following $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, both of which are in flux. In order for this spending to occur, our nation's debt limit will have to be increased significantly, their letter says. Because Democrats are responsible for the spending, they need to take responsibility for increasing the debt ceiling. They have total control of the government and the unilateral ability to raise the debt ceiling to accommodate their unilaterally spending plans. Doing this, doing so would not require a single Republican vote and would appropriately require each and every Democrat to to take responsibility for their out-of-control spending, end quote. Well, Republicans have taken issue with a range of provisions in the bills, but inflation, gas prices, immigration, amnesty, and Green New Deal measures have taken center stage as they rally the opposition. Again, quoting Representative Jim Banks of Indiana, one of the leading members behind the letter, Joe Biden and congressional Democrats are inflaming disaster that they created. Thanks to their spending-fueled inflation, Americans' paychecks have effectively been slashed. What's Democrats' plan? Spend another $3.5 trillion. Our border is overwhelmed, so they're pushing for the largest amnesty in history. Gas prices have skyrocketed, and they want the Green New Deal. End quote. Well, House Republicans have allies in the Senate on this issue. Earlier this month, 46 Republican senators signed a letter pledging that they would not vote to raise the debt ceiling. Well, the letters from Republicans in both chambers give an idea of how the party will message its opposition to Biden spending, which does have some popular provisions. So far, the bill's opponents have balked at the high price tag, including Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat from West Virginia, and Senator Kirsten Sinema, a Democrat from Arizona, who said they cannot support a $3.5 trillion bill. However, I have uh, serious concerns about the grave consequences facing West Virginians and every American family if Congress decides to spend Another $3.5 trillion, Manchin said uh, after the bill's release. Over the past year, Congress has injected more than $5 trillion of stimulus into the American economy, more than any time since World War II, to respond to the pandemic. Meanwhile, a Virginia Supreme Court has upheld a reinstatement of Christian teacher who opposed trans pronoun policy. Well, the highest court in the state of Virginia has rejected a request by the Loudoun County School Board to allow the suspension of a Christian teacher punished for criticizing a proposed policy requiring teachers to use trans students preferred names and pronouns to take effect. In an order issued on Monday, the Virginia Supreme Court granted an annual uh, I should say granted an appeal to review the merits of a lower court decision in favor of elementary school teacher Byron Tanner Cross and agreed to keep an injunction reinstating the teacher in place. Well, Cross is a physical education teacher in Leesburg Elementary School for the past eight years, recently sued the Loudoun County School Board for suspending him after speaking out in his personal capacity at a May board meeting against a proposed policy. Policy 8040, which was enacted earlier this year, requires teachers to use the preferred pronouns of trans-identified students. In his speech before the school board, Cross cited his Christian faith and said he could not lie to students. Looking to federal precedent as persuasive in a settled law that a government may not take adverse employment action against its employees in reprisal for their exercising their right to speak on matters of public concern, 
reads the order in part. Because the remaining interests of defendants raised uh, that the defendants raised do not override Cross and other teachers' interests in exercising their constitutionally protected right to speak on the proposed transgender policy, the circuit court did not abuse its discretion. The Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a conservative legal nonprofit, helped represent Cross. They celebrated the Virginia High Court order. The organization also is suing on behalf of other teachers to get the policy struck down altogether. Teachers shouldn't be forced to promote ideologies that are harmful to their students and that they believe are false, nor should they be silenced for uh, commenting in public meetings. ADF senior counsel Tyson Langhofer said in a statement released yesterday because Loudoun County Public School is now requiring all teachers and students to deny truths about what it means to be male and female and compelling them to call students by their chosen pronouns or face punishment. We have moved to amend our lawsuit to challenge that policy on behalf of multiple faculty members. Lacrosse was placed on administrative leave after expressing opposition to policy 8040 during the May school board meeting, although he did so in his personal capacity. My name is Tanner Cross, and I'm speaking out of love for those who suffer with gender dysphoria. He said at the meeting, I love all my students, but I will never lie to them regardless of the consequences. Well, 20 states have uh, filed lawsuits against the Biden administration in an attempt to halt directives that extend federal sex discrimination protections to transgender people. Leading the coalition is Tennessee Attorney General Herbert Slattery, who filed the lawsuit on Monday in U.S. District Court in Knoxville, arguing in a statement that this case is about two federal agencies changing law, which is Congress' exclusive prerogative. Well, attorneys general from the 20 states are challenging federal guidance issued by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and the Department of Education concerning issues ranging from transgender girls participating in girls' sports to transgender individuals using school and workplace bathrooms in accordance with their gender identity, to being compelled to use another person's preferred pronouns. The two departments had issued guidance stating that, based on the U.S. Supreme Court decision in Bostock versus Clayton County, which said employers cannot terminate workers because of their gender identity or sexuality, that not recognizing a person's gender identity would also constitute actionable discrimination under Title VII. Well, the lawsuit argues that Bostock was a narrow decision that was limited to employment termination and did not address the myriad of other forms of alleged discrimination the agencies identified as prohibited discrimination under Title VII, like sex-segregated bathrooms and sports teams. Well, the guidance, the lawsuit argues, purports to resolve highly controversial and localized issues such as whether employers and schools can maintain sex-separated showers and locker rooms, whether schools must allow biological males to compete on female uh, athletic teams, and whether individuals may be compelled to use another person's preferred pronouns. But the agencies have no authority to resolve those sensitive questions, let alone to do so by executive fiat without providing any opportunity for public participation, it states. Well, joining Tennessee on the lawsuit are Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, and West Virginia. Well, if there's strength in numbers, then the lawsuit filed by the American College of Pediatricians and the Catholic Medical Association and an obstetrician gynecologist specializing in care for adolescents will at least garner well some attention. Hopefully, it'll do much more than that. 
Well, the suit, which was filed on behalf of some 3,000 physicians and health professionals, opposes a Biden administration rule that the suit says encroaches on the rights of doctors opposed to gender transitioning procedures. Specifically, the suit challenges a radical reinterpretation of non-discrimination on the basis of sex nested within Obamacare. According to a press release from the Alliance Defending Freedom, that provision if allowed to stand, will mandate that those doctors perform gender transition procedures on any patient, including a child, even if the procedure violates a doctor's medical judgment or religious beliefs. Well, ADF is the world's largest legal organization committed to protecting religious freedom, free speech, marriage and family, parental rights and the sanctity of life. Well, as the senior counsel for ADF, Ryan Bangert and Julie Marie Blake put it, the law and the medical profession have long recognized and respected biological differences between boys and girls and the unique needs they each present in health care. Forcing doctors to prescribe transition hormones for 13-year-olds or perform life-altering surgeries on adolescents is unlawful, unethical and dangerous. President Biden's Health and Human Services Department is grossly overreaching its authority and in so doing, putting children's psychological and physical health in danger. Our clients are rightfully objecting on medical, ethical, religious and conscience grounds to this unlawful government mandate to provide gender transition procedures. Doctors uh, should never be forced to perform a controversial and often medically dangerous procedure that goes against their best judgment, their conscience, their religious, their religion, rather, and especially when it involves vulnerable children experiencing mental and emotional confusion. To force doctors to engage in experimental medicine that poses a risk to patients or face huge financial penalties, withdrawal of federal funding or removal of an ability to practice medicine is an Extreme violation of doctors' constitutional rights and certainly not in the best interest of the patients they serve. This is an extreme violation of doctors' constitutional rights. And we're going to continue to follow this uh, case, uh, this suit, as it moves uh, through the court and a final determination is made. Up next, we're going to hear from Noel Maring, author of Awake, Not a- Not Woke, a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 